It is Friday, October 27th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, the economic impact of the arts. Northwest Arkansas arts and culture organizations and activities generated $232.7 million dollars in 2022. Plus, Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics helps us take in a week of news. Becca Martin-Brown from the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette helps us prep for the weekend before Halloween. And speaking of Halloween, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas offers a seasonal soundtrack. Uh, you have to put yourself in into an alternate reality when you listen and watch this film. A preview of Sona's first ever Halloween-themed concert and writer and filmmaker Spade Robinson on grounded horror. The world is scary enough without me having to add a ton of elements. First, the hour's news. Support for KUAF comes from the Clinton School of Public Service at the University of Arkansas. Their MPS degree is an action-oriented program focused on preparing students for the tough work of on-the-ground change. For the fall 2024 enrollment cycle, the school is expanding its range of merit-based scholarships and cost-of-living stipends to enrolling students. More at clintonschool.uasys.edu. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, October 27th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. With me on the phone to help us start this Friday edition, as he is almost every Friday, is Michael Zilley with Talk Business and Politics, calling from his Fort Smith office. Michael, we're about to move into November. We've got plenty to talk about. Let's start with um, the latest sales tax numbers that uh, are at talkbusiness.net. They continue to be up, don't they? Yep, they continue to grow. Uh, I think the, the pace of growth is slowing a little bit, but... Again, if you would have asked me at the first of the year, in fact, I think you did, and I may have said, <laughs> I can't imagine that the pace will continue. Well, it has for the most part. Um, the September sales tax report from the city of Fort Smith showed that their share of the 1% Sebastian County tax was a little over 2.1 million. That was up 4. almost 3%, 4.3% compared to last year. Um, through the first nine reporting months, uh, of the year that tax has generated 18.6 million and that's up just a little over 6%. Um, the city's uh, 1% street tax um, generated uh, 2.5 million uh, in September report. That was up almost 3%. Uh, and through the first nine months of the year, that tax has generated 22.6 million. That's up just a little over 5%. But uh, one interesting note is that You'll note that um, the city share of that the Sebastian County sales tax is up. The gains on that tax are are one percent higher than than the tax exclusively collected in the city, which suggests that for whatever reason there is more spending on a relative basis outside the city than in the city. Hmm. Um, so for what it for what it's worth, that growth uh, is not as robust. Uh, still good, but not right. as robust. As out in the county, uh, and again, those 2022 numbers that we're comparing this year against were record numbers. Last year, the city's share of the one percent county tax was 23 and a half million, and that was up almost 10 percent compared to 2021. And the street tax numbers were up um, seven and a half, roughly seven and a half percent over 2021. So that's why I uh, that's why I was 
not thinking that the facts would continue to, to show uh, such good, strong percentage gains. I mean, you can see that they're pro- they're not going to match the percentage gains last year, but they're still going to break another record. There is an interesting relationship developing or existing between the city of Fort Smith, the Sebastian County, and the Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority Board of Trustees. And this relationship took kind of an interesting turn this week. Marital relationship, they need to seek a marriage counselor, um, that's for sure. This all kind of revolves around this Deer Trails Country Club. It's a golf course. Deer Trails Golf Course. It's about 113 acres. It's out at Chaffee Crossing. It's in the Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority um, property. Um, so several months ago, uh, maybe last late last year, the FC, the Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority put the land up for sale, but then weirdly said, "Well, we're not really looking to market it." And the folks at Deer who are running Deer Trails um, said, "Well." We don't like that. We want to keep it. And if you're going to sell it, why are we going to continue to make improvements, that kind of thing? So there was a push by um, the golf course folks and some local developers who say, you know, they, they're interested in developing um, residential uh, property, um, housing, apartments, that kind of thing around that. But they want some, you know, assurance that it will remain a golf course. That's part of the amenity of building around it. Um or the attraction of building around it. So the city approached FCRA several months ago and said, look, let it donate to us and we'll, uh, we'll take care of it. We'll ensure that, um, you know, it'll stay a golf course. And if it doesn't remain a golf course, it'll remain an open green space for recreation, that type of thing. And so the FCRA board came back and said, well, no, no, we're not, we can't do that. Uh, we need, more years you need to guarantee us more years so they came back with 40 years and then the fcra rejected and said no we need 60 years so they came back and said i think the city said 90 years and the fcra continued to reject it and it's just a, a classic case i've been covering local governments for a long time i've never seen such a case in where one side keeps moving the field goal hmm. you know so to speak and by the way for Razorback fans, a, a field goal <laughs> is something that sits near an end zone, and an end zone is something that uh, there's a ball, and if you matriculate that ball into the end zone, you get points. And if you do that more often than the other team on the field, you win the game. So that's a for a field goal reference. I didn't want to lose anybody on that. So anyway, this the way it stands now, the FCRA is essentially given the middle finger to the city, and um, one city director, George Katsavis, has come out publicly now saying, we think maybe it's time for the Fort Chaffee Redevelopment Authority to go away, mm-hmm. and which it, it's always intended to go away. It's never been a, uh, considered a permanent uh, authority. It was set up to get rid of the you know, roughly 7,200 acres that were given to the several governments um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, when the military changed the status of Fort Chaffee. So we'll we'll see. It's it's not a it's not a pleasant relationship right now between the city and FCRA. And speaking of the city, as we talked about last week, there was a a proposal to extend this uh, residential construction moratorium near the Fort Smith Regional Airport, uh, and that has been approved. So now that moratorium goes into effect until December 2025. Quick reminder: What does this mean? 
Well, this is um, directly related to the foreign uh, pilot uh, training center at Ebbing Air National Guard Base, which is there co-located on the Fort Smith Regional Airport with the Fort Smith Regional Airport. Uh, you know, so that was approved, we learned, back back in June. And so as the military continues to begin the work and is actually in the middle of the work to bring this in, there will be ongoing environmental studies. One of those is, of course, noise. And so the military is worried about the noise. These The F-35s that come in, everyone here, we've had F-16s. If you lived in Fort Smith for a while, you had F-16s. They're loud, but they're not, you know, um, obnoxious loud. The F-35 has a, is a much um, louder jet, I guess, for I'm sure that's not the technical term. And so there's a little concern about the noise ordinance uh, or the noise from that. So in response, the city has expanded to some degree. They've moved the moratorium land, and we've got a map on a story that shows where it's moved and extended it, like you said, to December 2025. Um, What was interesting is Rocky Walker, he's president of the Greater Association of Home Builders, and he told the board, he said, look, he essentially said, we're not happy about this. In fact, I think he used the term. He said, anytime somebody talks about uh, reducing uh, the number of residential permits you can have, but he said, as an association, we're behind it. Uh, we understand the need for it. We also you know, hope that it doesn't continue because we are also the folks that are providing the housing that if as many people come in as you say they will, you're going to need what, what we produce. So, um, so right now, all sides are on board and supportive of this. So We'll we'll see how this continues, if it continues, and we'll be watching studies from the military on the sound uh, impact. Finally, the Fort Kids Museum proposal is off to a pretty good fundraising start. Right. They've raised um, the, the museum. It's going to be built or raise the money will be built on the riverfront next to the Marshalls Museum. So the riverfront will have a Marshalls Museum, a, the, the School of the Arts, the Kids Museum, Skate Park, a lot of things coming down on that area, but they raised a one and a half million toward, they have a a 16 and a half million total goal. They have a short term, 3 million goal. Um, So they've raised one and a half million. And again, they just, they just launched a few months ago. So this is somewhat of an impressive start for them. I'm uh, for full disclosure. I'm a big fan of this effort. Um, I think we've seen uh, the benefits of the Amazium in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, and I'm not saying Fort Kids is going to be exactly the same. They're all different, but this will definitely be a, a quality and much needed uh, amenity for the region. So let's all across our fingers and hope that this pace uh, of success continues in terms of fundraising. And if I had another seven hours to talk with you, I'd ask you to explain to us the history of the proposal to have a casino in Pope County. We don't have seven hours, but you have written about that, and folks can find out the latest about that at talkbusiness.net. Michael, have yourself a safe Halloween. We'll talk again in November. Oh, gosh, November already. Okay, yes, thank you, sir. On today's show, 
We're embracing the weekend before Halloween with the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas. Sona is celebrating the season with spooky music Saturday night at the Walton Arts Center. We'll talk with the concert's guest conductor, Larry Lowe. And we get an update from writer Spade Robinson about her grounded horror movie, Late Bloomers, this after a public reading of the script earlier this year. And she'll also explain what grounded horror is. And that's what I love about grounded horror is that um, the world is scary enough without me having to add a ton of elements. You're talking about two black women driving through the American South on this road trip. I'm a black woman. I've driven through the American South by myself. It is absolutely terrifying. Even going to a gas station when the sun is down, I'm taking my life into my own hands. And so I think it's such a commentary on their experience um, just by placing them in the world that we live in every day. Spooky music, spooky words, still to come on this Friday before Halloween edition of Ozarks at Large. Philadelphia's Kensington neighborhood is being torn apart by opioid addiction. The drug dealer is aggressive. Like, you know, there's times when we try to outreach with some of this community, and the drug dealer's like, "Mm mm-mm. How does a community reclaim its streets and recover? That story and the latest from the Middle East, Saturday and Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition with Scott Simon tomorrow morning, beginning at 7. New research from the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement indicates mothers who live in certain parts of Arkansas are more likely to give birth through cesarean section than mothers in other parts of the state. The highest rates of C-section births from 2019 through 2021 were in Dallas and Deshaies counties, 45.6% of births. Lowest rate for that two-year period in Johnson County, just more than 26%. Overall, the state's percentage of C-section births was a little over 33%. That's about three and a half percent higher than the national rate. Sales of medical marijuana continue to increase in Arkansas. The Department of Finance and Administration calculates sales for the first nine months of 2023, more than $211 million. That's a better than 3% increase over the same time frame in 2022. According to the Arkansas Department of Health, there are slightly more than 96,000 active medical marijuana cards in the state. A defense contractor plans to build a $33 million missile factory in Camden. RTX announced, along with Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders yesterday, that it will construct a facility to build missiles that will be part of the United States Sky Hunter defense system and the Israeli Iron Dome defense system. RTX officials say the new plant means 30 new jobs initially. Governor Sanders says the project grew out of Arkansas's involvement in this summer's Paris Air Show, which was attended by the governor. The Arkansas National Guard and the Arkansas Urban Search and Rescue Task Force One are collaborating to offer the state a helicopter rescue team to help rescue stranded Arkansans. The National Guard provides the choppers, while the task force supplies the manpower and know-how. There are two teams that serve the state, one aiding the northern half, the other helping the southern. The Fayetteville Fire Department was the first to utilize the new helicopter rescue last month. The rescue team was sent to the Buffalo National River after a hiker was injured. Fayetteville's Boulders and Brews is hosting a Halloween-themed bouldering competition Saturday. The competition is open to anyone who wants to compete, gym members or otherwise. Co-owner Patrick Randall says he wanted to foster community with the event and break down barriers to climbing. And I emphasize community because, you know, ESPN's not going to be here. It's a fun community climbing competition where we get to bring in 
incredible small businesses get to highlight their names in the community. We raffle off prizes that they've donated. And then it's all people um, from the area that are climbing in these competitions. And we just have a really good time. Spectators are welcome. The competition will include three brackets for different skill levels. Randall says there's something for everyone, even if they've never climbed competitively. Northwest Arkansas is blessed to have, you know, three really fun gyms that all kind of bring a different aspect to uh, Northwest Arkansas. And I went to my very first one, and I think I took the biggest fall. I was in the beginner's bracket. And I think I, the, like, the one thing I don't want to do is make a scene since this is my first competition. I just found indoor rock climbing. And I think I took a fall from the very top. And it was a big enough fall to where everyone went, stopped what they were doing. And I was the very center of attention to the exact opposite spot of where I ever wanted to be. Um, but everyone was super kind and nice. And You know, ever since then, I've been pretty excited about competitions. The competition occurs in two ways. The first one beginning at 10 tomorrow morning, the second at 1245 tomorrow afternoon. Bouldersandbrews.com for more information. And the Arkansas Razorback soccer team claiming the outright SEC championship. Last night, the 10th-ranked Razorbacks defeated number 21 Mississippi State 1-0 in Fayetteville to win the regular season title. Arkansas will open play in the SEC tournament in Pensacola, Florida, Tuesday against either Tennessee or Auburn. Huge thanks to everybody who came to the Fayetteville Public Library for last night's conversation with R.L. Stein. Fans began lining up four hours before the event, and the more than 600 seats in the library's event center filled pretty quickly. Estimate another 400 fans of the author of the Goosebumps and Fear Street series watched on screens throughout the library. And my deep appreciation to the staff at the Fayetteville Public Library for asking me to moderate the conversation that served as a conclusion to the library's 10th annual True Lit Fest. The Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, Sona, is doing something new tomorrow night. It's a Halloween concert, their first ever. Music Spanning Centuries is on the program. Larry Lowe is the guest conductor for Haunted Harmonies, a Halloween concert. Starts tomorrow night at 7.30 at Walton Arts Center. The evening includes music from decades of film, including selections from one of Hollywood's first celebrated soundtracks, scary or otherwise, 1935's Bride of Frankenstein. Guest conductor Larry Lowe says Franz Waxman's score for the legendary movie is a perfect work to help inaugurate a Halloween concert. This is um, a revolutionary score, and um, I think the use of the the orchestra to create tension 
the use of certain intervals to create meaning, some kind of like a Wagner kind of leitmotif kind of meaning. Hearing this music in the context of a lot of different film scores, especially as probably the origin of a lot of of what what people think of as that kind of horror or, or uh, gothic, terror, or gothic, yeah. yeah. Uh, horror is not really right. I mean, but it is. It, there is this kind of. Uh, uh, you have to put yourself in into an alternate reality when you listen and watch this film, and um, and this and this set this precedent for so many other composers that followed. There's also perhaps the most familiar piece of music in movie history. I mean, I can't rank them, but I mean, you know those bars of Jaws, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Bom, yeah. Bom. And that's got to be a thrill to oh, be up yes. there with musicians Absolutely. doing that. Yeah. Very instantly recognizable. Everyone knows what that means. If you if you hear if you hear that music, or if you're sneaking up on someone, you know, and you and you kind of have that soundtrack in your head, it, it it's amazing how brilliant and economical that that music is that John Williams wrote, 1975. Uh, he, it's one of his five Academy Award winning scores, and pretty easy to see why. It's just you know, so iconic. What is it like, do you think, for patrons to have these scores, familiar or not, removed from the visuals? Yeah. Right? I mean, because oh, sure. the music is on its own now. No, I know. Um, I, I, I find that the music, because I do a lot of these kinds of concerts where we'll do film music in concert without, without a screen. Um, and for so many people, this music has... Uh, this emotional connection to to their experiences watching the film, watching, for example, even though we're not playing this, but like E.T., the ending of E.T., you have the soundtrack. Um, and if you were to watch that scene without the music, it's completely emotionless. Uh, if you watch the end of Star Wars A New Hope, uh, the original Star Wars, and you watch the metal ceremony at the end, um, there's this funny video on YouTube where you can watch the scene where it's just like you hear the shoes and the right. walking and you hear <laughs> you hear you hear all the stuff kind of out of context without the fanfare and it completely loses that that emotional connection so uh, what we have found what I found in concert is that playing the music even without the film can still create those um, emotions can stir that up uh, in in some ways even more powerfully because you're totally paying attention to the music in a way that you don't in a way that it's almost subliminal or kind of a, uh, like a compliment to what's happening on the, on the screen. Uh, so this is, a, I think, a, an amazing front and center musical experience that um, I know the audience is going to love. I've touched on two of my favorites. We, we don't have to list all, but what else will we hear? Yeah, so um, this program, I think it's going to be a really interesting program because all of the music is – it represents some appearance in a film, uh, in some kind of Halloween-themed film, either Halloween-themed in like The Nightmare Before Christmas or 
Jaws, I guess if we call that Halloween, which we are, we're stuffing that in there. Yeah, yeah, I think sure. so. Yeah. It's scary. Oh, right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we're also doing music also like a Princess Leia's theme because I expect that there will be Princess Leia costumed people in the orchestra and in the audience. Um, and then the first half of the program is all concert music that has been kind of co-opted into, uh, you know, just used in movies like uh, the Bach, Toccata and Fugue orchestrated by Stokowski for Fantasia. But originally some version of that orchestrated was in Jekyll and Hyde. In the 1930s, it was used in various, you know, television shows. Anytime that they wanted to create that sense of a little bit of the Halloween feeling, they would use this music and instantly people uh, recognized it as that. The Sorcerer's Apprentice, also used in Fantasia, um, but, you know, that's a concert piece. And uh, we we wanted to put it in here because it's just so easily uh, – easily will have the same kind of effect on the audience as music written specifically for for film. Uh, and so, yeah, we'll get to see kind of two two different approaches to the way that filmmakers used music in, in film, sometimes taking music from the concert stage. I'm not asking for direct comparisons, of course, but, you know, there are composers we know and, and, and associate with, quote, classical music. But when you think about John Williams or Franz Waxman or Bernard Herrmann, these these legendary figures of film score music, they're wonderful composers as oh, well. I mean, yeah, they- oh, absolutely. I know. I, I think of Korngold in mm. the same in the same breath. You know, although Korngold maybe has a little more of a concert um, concert composer or serious quote unquote composer more than Waxman or Herman. Um, and John Williams, certainly his his film music overshadows what he's written for concert, which is very different from from what he writes for for film. Uh, whereas, you know, like Korngold, he, he kind of kind of writes the same ish style on both fronts. But these composers deserve so much uh, recognition for their skill as composers. And I think the fact that they write music that can be instantly relatable to the audience, to the listener, shows how great a composer they are and shows why their music deserves to be played in concert. And, um, you know, it, it's 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 not like it takes less skill to write music that is immediately recognizable and uh, has an emotional effect. That's That should be a good thing. Um, yeah, I, I love how diverse this program is just in terms of uh, the types of music uh, types of of sounds and composers and experiences and decades and centuries, uh, and um, and they all have one thing in common. They're all like perfect for Halloween. So, you know, I think it's a uh, the program is it, it's this exact program I've not conducted before. We put it together especially for this concert, and um, I couldn't be more excited to do it. And you mentioned some Princess Lay as you expect, both in the audience and the orchestra, because people are encouraged. Get into the spirit of Halloween. Absolutely, yeah. Really, we want to get that out there that the audience should come if they want to, are totally encouraged to come in costume. There's trick-or-treating. I think it starts an hour before at the hall. If you have people that want to trick-or-treat, you know, I would I would be in that. Yeah, you know, I would yeah. do that, yeah. Um, and if if uh, if you if you don't only want to wear your your costume on Halloween, you know, there's some people who work all year on their costume. This is a great chance to to show it off and to to come and be just in the mood and help others also like get in the mood with your amazing costumes. We want to see that. Uh, it's going to be a big part of the experience for me is just looking out in the audience 
and seeing what, what I see out there and uh, awesome. maybe pointing them out. Uh, and don't give anything away. You? Yep. Will you? Yeah, I'll be in costume, right. definitely. I mean, the only restriction for me is that I need to be able to conduct in it. You know, yeah. I need to be able to move. So, um, you know, like I won't be coming out as like the Tin Man. But there might be something where, uh, you know, like where I can physically still move the way that I need to do that part of, of what I have to do. Um, that's the only restriction. So, um, yes, I'll be in costume. Larry Lowe is guest conductor for the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas concert Haunted Harmonies, a Halloween concert that's taking place Saturday night at 730 at Walton Art Center in Fayetteville. Our conversation recorded in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio yesterday. Now it is time for me to welcome Becca Martin-Brown, feature of the Arts and Entertainment Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, who I think is going to continue this Halloween theme for us. Is that correct, Becca? Oh, you couldn't have set that up better if you'd planned it. <laughs> well, maybe I did plan it. Give me a little credit. <laughs> oh, come on. Guys, we never plan anything. We hmm. do this whole thing by the seat of our pants. So if he tries to tell you he had a plan, just <laughs> nod and smile. Okay. Have you talked to the Northwest Arkansas Ballet Theater about Dracula here now? Stephen Wynn came to our studio last week to talk about it. Yes. Excellent. I think this is going to be a really interesting interpretation because it's got ballet, obviously. It's got music, obviously, but it also has spoken word and the spirit of Dracula, who does not speak. I think this is going to be a really interesting interpretation. Dracula here now, 745 tonight at the auditorium in Eureka Springs, $25, 745 on Halloween night. At the medium in Springdale, $35, org slash Dracula. John Brown University drama students are doing the Adams Family Musical. So there's going to be some snapping. Yeah. 7.30 today and tomorrow. And again at 7.30, November 2 through 4, Berry Performing Arts Center at John Brown University in Salem Springs. If you've never been there, they have a lovely performing arts center. They really do. And a lovely, enthusiastic drama department. Tickets are $15 for adults at jbu.universitytickets.com. This is not scary unless you're one of the actors. Then it would be terrifying. Fayetteville High School is doing a show called Zap. On stage tonight and tomorrow night and Sunday afternoon. And it is, well, Mike Thomas says it is an English murder mystery, a Russian play, a Southern play, a Neil Simon comedy, an avant-garde absurdist play, and a performance art piece with a little Shakespeare thrown in for good measure. Some of the audience members have a remote control. (laughs) When enough of the audience clicks their remote, the scene changes to one of seven plays each of which is a different genre of theater. Oh, my goodness. I see why it would be frightening for the actors. And it is up to the actors with dialect and costume changes and characterization to change the channel. So how do you know what to do up there? I don't have the foggiest idea. Okay. 7 o'clock today and Saturday, 2 o'clock Sunday, Fayetteville High School Performing Arts Center, $15 for adults, fhsdrama.net. The Theater Collective of Northwest Arkansas, which is just going gangbusters after having just been born this year, is doing Nightfall with Edgar Allan Poe this weekend. Okay. It is a Halloween production that combines 
the raven, the fall of the house of Usher, the pit and the pendulum, and the telltale heart. Not into the same story. Okay, that <laughs> you you it, read my like mind. <laughs> no, not like the same. It is those four short dramas. I see. With Edgar Allan Poe as the character who passes between them. Okay. And it's taking place in what they're using as a black box theater. At the medium, it used to be the Art Center of the Ozarks at 214 South Main Street in Springdale. So it relies heavily on the actors. Mm-hmm. And there's a great Raven costume. Seven o'clock today and tomorrow, that's it. That's all she wrote. Tickets are $20 at theatercollectivenwa.org. And then this is only scary if you think about them being real. Fort Smith is hosting another dinosaur adventure. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to meet one, but I'm fascinated by them. The animatronic ones. Do you remember the first time they brought animatronic ones to the museum at the university? I do indeed. I remember that very well. And that was some time ago, so I bet the, the technology is, is new and improved. I would think so, but it was pretty darned amazing then. This dinosaur adventure also has fossil searches and, like, dino scooters you can ride. And you can ride your favorite dinosaur, I assume, if you're little enough to do that. Oh, fun. 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. tomorrow and 9 to 7 on Sunday at K. Rogers Park in Fort Smith. $25 tickets at dinosauradventure.com. This weekend is the Scottish Festival at Lion College. Uh, Lion College in Batesville, and they do it up. This is their 43rd, and they are going to have a comedy show, a rocket-building workshop, Celtic music performances, bagpiping, Scottish competitions, a food truck fair, Oh, yeah, and historical reenactments by McLaughlin's Jacobite Highlanders and Colonel Monroe's 37th Regiment of Foot, a mm. Highland Heavy Athletics competition, and sheepdog demonstrations. Does that mean caber toss? Isn't that the, the telephone pole-looking thing that you throw? That would be my guess. Okay. I want a, vintage, a British car show and a vintage swap meet. I don't know what a vintage swap meet is, but they're speaking my language. I bet you would like to be there. I bet I would. <laughs> all of this happens all weekend long, today through Sunday, on campus in Batesville. And you can find out more at, oh my goodness, it's a long thing, alumni.lion.edu. All right. Becca Martin-Brown, Arts and Entertainment Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Thank you. Thank you. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is a dimension of spooky sounds on a Halloween edition of a radio show. You've just crossed over into The Vinyl Hour, which airs this Saturday at 5 p.m. Hi, my name is Spade Robinson. I'm the writer and director of Late Bloomers, which is a grounded horror film about two best friends who go on their last road trip together. Dozens of scary movies will be rented and streamed this weekend as part of a lead-up to Halloween. Spade Robinson can't wait for us to see the movie Late Bloomers, a project she's writing and directing. She came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio earlier this year in advance of a public table read that took place at Theater Squared. So we wanted her back to find out how sharing the script went for her 
And this last time she visited us, just this past week, I also want to know a bit more about that term we just heard her use, grounded horror. Grounded horror, that's just a phrase I use because it means that there aren't any huge supernatural elements in the movie to make it otherworldly. Right. Yeah. All right. So how did the table read go? It was fantastic. We had so much fun. It was at Theater Squared on the third floor where their rehearsal space is. So it was nice and big space, but it was blank enough for us to create our own atmosphere. So we were able to go in that space and create a corner where the actors were in a sort of V-shaped formation. But we also had uh, a sort of 3D flower installation where people can go in and take photos. And we had a space where people could, you know, take notes from what they got from the reading and leave them. Um, and we really wanted to make the space feel like what the movie would feel like. So we had mood lighting and all of that to create the atmosphere. Hopefully it created the atmosphere for the audience. How were the notes? Um, they were wonderful. You know, we wanted people to be able to pick up something, put them in an envelope and take them home with themselves, put their name on it, and then whenever they, whenever they were having a moment of um, sort of doubt about the value of their life, they can open that and be affirmed. That's the whole point of the film is to be life-affirming. But after I got home and all the chaos was over, I was unpacking our box full of stuff, and I saw this note. Um, and you never know if anyone is paying attention. And so I opened it, and it said... Um, Whenever you have a thought that makes you feel bad, it is laced with a lie. And that's one of the lines from the film. And that just meant so much to me that somebody remembered that from being at the table read. Yeah, well, I would, I would imagine they're paying attention because this, w- this was an intentional, right? I mean, sometimes if you're a musician and you're busking, people are walking by and they don't expect it. But you asked people to go. So these were people interested in hearing what you had. I hope so. And that makes me feel really good. You never know, I think, if if, if people are going to internalize the message of the movie. Um, but I hope, you know, that hearing it and then writing it down committed it to some kind of memory. What did it do for you, hearing the actors read your words? Does that move you along in a process at all? Absolutely. You know, as a writer-director, there's so many different versions of a table read. Like, one version of a table read that's well-known in Hollywood is before you go through a rewrite process, you have a table read, and the writer, producers, whoever is a part of the team can hear the words, hear it put on its feet, as we call, um, and know what jokes are working, when people laugh, when people don't laugh, if people are clutching their pearls, are people having the reaction they want? And then a lot of times after that will be a round of notes where people can give you their feedback. And this was a little bit different. This was a more forward-facing performance of a sort. And so it wasn't as much of a workshop. But for me, I was able to hear, even while performing, um, where some of the jokes landed or if people were engaged. You know, when you hear that gasp, <laughs> you know that um, some of the writing is working. Does this help you visualize in any way differently what it will look like on film? Um, I wouldn't say it helps the visual aspect of it, but what it does is really help get a sense of the pacing. Mm-hmm. When you hear actors speak your words and perform them dramatically, you get a sense of, you know, are is the chemistry that I wrote um, working between these two characters? Um, do these relationships make sense when you put them on their feet? And, um, you know, is the pacing working out dramatically? We're going to, uh, on a future show not too long from now, hear some of that table read, aren't we? I cannot wait for you guys yes. to hear an excerpt from the table read. But we're not going to give away, as you mentioned, any of the twists or turns. Exactly. 
Uh, so where are you now with the production? I know that this is a process that takes a lot of work and dots or, or yeah, dots have to be connected. Absolutely. Um, you know what's interesting is if I were to look on paper, I would not say that we are dramatically far from the last time I talked to you, actually, okay. in terms of financing, in terms of putting a date on the calendar and saying this is when we're going to shoot it. Um, I think morale-wise, we are in a world of a different place since the last time I saw you. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with the team, being able to get together, have this experience, hear it on its feet, get reignited about it. I also think it has something to do with the community being more aware of it. And I'll be out somewhere and someone will stop me and say, oh, you're that filmmaker who's doing the thing. And that's, I think, really helpful for us. We feel like we're a part of this community now. And we feel like we have the support of several organizations Um that fuel is so needed as an artist, especially as a writer. So much of the process is you're in a room by yourself with your computer and you're going back and forth to your refrigerator and you don't know if any of this is working or not. You haven't seen another person for days. Um, and to be able to continue to broaden the scope of people that you share that with, it, be, it becomes a family and, uh, you know, uh, artists desperately need that feeling. It sounds like it seems... Not that it hasn't seemed tangible to you, the writer, director, creator, but it seems a little bit more tangible just with that enthusiasm and that momentum. It does. It's intangible. You know, you can't touch it, but you know that it's there. You know that you feel differently about it. I feel more hopeful since the last time I sat in this chair. That's great. All right. So the next time you and I visit, we'll we'll share part of the table read. Yes. It's Halloween season, so I'm going to ask you, um, I don't remember if we talked about whether you were a fan of horror movies. Oh, my gosh. I love horror films. Okay. All right. Do you have uh, – I'm getting two-part question since yes. it's Halloween season. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite horror movie or scary movie? Yes. It's – yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So I'm going to ask you what that is. And then I'm going to ask – because I like scary movies, but I don't like them to be too scary. Right. Paranormal Activity, The Ring. Okay. <laughs> That new Exorcist movie, not my style, okay? Fair enough, fair enough. So, so go ahead and tell me what your favorite one is. And if it is one that I'm not likely to want to see, yes. then if you have one that you would suggest that would be a little calmer. I'm not talking a kid's movie or right. anything. Right, okay. okay. So what's <laughs> your favorite? Enough. My favorite scary movie is Silence of the Lambs. Oh, I love that movie. Um, it is followed closely by The Sixth Sense. And... Um, I go back and forth on those two, but those are my two favorites. Okay, so you don't have to fill in that second part because those are the kinds of movies I'm talking about. Oh, beautiful. Okay. Silence of the Lambs. I know. Everything works in that. I know. It's I mean, these are both deeply character driven films about a peop about a you know, a person who wants a thing very badly. That's great storytelling. And I think at the end of the day, you know, late bloomers is a person who wants a thing very badly mm-hmm. and they are thrown in a world where getting that thing ends up having things that are terrifying around them. And that's what I love about grounded horror is that um, the world is scary enough without me having to add a ton of elements. You're talking about two black women driving through the American South on this road trip. I'm a black woman. I've driven through the American South by myself. It is absolutely terrifying. Even going to a gas station when the sun is down, I'm taking my life into my own hands. And so I think it's such a commentary on their experience um, just by placing them in the world that we live in every day. 
So let's catch up soon so we can hear part of the table read. I can't wait. And you're going to keep keep us up to date until the red carpet? Oh, until the red carpet. That sounds like a, such a beautiful through line and relationship. I cannot wait. Yes, and I will see you next time. Spade Robinson is a writer and creator, and we're going to keep following her work to have her film Late Bloomers become reality. She lives in Bentonville. No Razorback football this weekend, but Razorback basketball fans can get a preview of the upcoming season and catch a glimpse of one of the best players in the country when Arkansas hosts Purdue for an exhibition game tomorrow afternoon at 3 in Bud Walton Arena. Purdue boasts last year's Player of the Year, Zach Eady. Purdue is ranked number 3 in the Associated Press preseason rankings. Arkansas ranked 14th. Proceeds from the charity exhibition game will benefit Arkansas 211. That's a program of the United Way. And you can hear our stories about Arkansas 211 by searching for them at ozarksatlarge.com. If you think basketball talk is best saved for winter, well, hang on. Temperatures are going to fall soon. The National Weather Service projects lows in the 20s for northwest Arkansas and eastern Oklahoma Monday and Tuesday nights, dropping to an expected 22 degrees Tuesday night in Tahlequah. Lows will be right around 30 those nights for much of the Arkansas River Valley and for our listeners in central Arkansas, as low as 30 degrees by Wednesday night. Horror movies tell us a lot about our cultural anxieties. And lately, it's been very interesting to see who's seen as a hero and who's seen as a monster. Anything that we consider repulsive winds up in horror. It's a pressure gasket for sort of our national imagination. We're analyzing decrepit hags and final girls in horror. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. It's been a minute tomorrow morning, beginning at 10. The arts can translate into real money in Arkansas. A report released this month shows just what arts and culture can mean for Arkansas's economy. CASH, the Arkansas Arts Council, and Arkansans for the Arts announced that the state of Arkansas's nonprofit arts and culture industry generated $306.4 million in economic activity in 2022. These findings are included in the study titled Arts and Economic Prosperity 6, or AEP6 for short. Yesterday, Karen Castleman, the dance and events manager of CASH Studios and a consultant, for the AEP6 study, explains some of the numbers included in the survey. Northwest Arkansas arts and culture organizations and activities generated $232.7 million in 2022. That's just one year? In one year. So help me understand, ticket sales, restaurant visits, hotel stays? Yes. So this study was unique in... The history of the AEP six, the AEP surveys, uh, in that it included this time uh, in gathering information around additional expenditures around arts and culture events. So audience members were asked questions related to their expenses when they came to an event beyond the ticket price. Uh, did they go out to dinner, or pay for parking, planning to go to drinks or dessert afterwards, paying for childcare, pet care? Um, and they were also asked questions about the social impact of those activities as well. What sort of answers did we get? Really fabulous ones, uh, which were about 10 percent 
stronger in their feelings in the state of Arkansas than the than the nationwide results. Um, things like ninety point eight percent of event it- attendees indicated that this venue or facility was an important pillar for them within their community, or ninety two point three percent saying that they would feel a great sense of loss if this activity or this venue was no longer available. Ninety two percent. Ninety two percent. Wow. And ninety one percent saying that this activity or venue inspired a sense of pride in their community or neighborhood. So that suggests that there is. Not everyone can go to every event they want, you know, can not attend every concert or, or, or art gallery opening, but it's still important to them that those venues are here and available. Correct. In fact, uh, 50% of attendees at events in Northwest Arkansas indicated that if that event or that venue was not there, they would travel someplace to take in a similar event or activity. So that would suggest not only is money being spent here, but it's not leaving here. Exactly. And it's also bringing in money from visitors attending for that purpose. Yeah, I was going to ask, so does this take into account someone that might live in Salem Springs and go to something in Rogers, as well as someone who might live, I don't know, in Tahlequah and come in to do something at Crystal Bridges? Yes, it does. And there were components of the survey that indicated whether or not you were from the the area that the event was taking place or whether you had traveled there for it. Well, this study found that one-third of attendees were from outside the county in which the arts event took place. Okay, so one-third outside the county. And then I think I remember seeing um, like somewhere around 5% were outside the state of Arkansas. I believe that's correct, yeah. Another interesting number that I I saw in this report was – the typical attendee spends $31.57 per person per event after the cost of the ticket. Correct. And that number almost doubles if you're talking about someone traveling to the area for the event. So what, what should we make of these numbers and, and, and this impact? How, how can this be used or how can it help explain something? Well, I think it's important to understand that Art spending doesn't just support the artists that you see on stage or whose work you see in a gallery. There's a whole industry of jobs that support that product. There's lighting technicians and audio technicians and operations managers and marketing and finance staff. What you see when you attend a cultural event is really just the tip of an iceberg of jobs that the arts and culture activities support. Can we, and tell me if this is something that we can't tell from this, can we tell whether more arts can be supported then from these numbers? I mean, isn't the answer to that always yes? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I believe so. And I think that um, what it also indicates is that arts and culture organizations make good neighbors. You want them in your community if you're a business owner. They're attracting visitors but also keeping residents in the area and spending their dollars in your business. Who has seen this? Who who does this get shared with? So Americans for the Arts had a national release of this information. Uh, and then it's being disseminated to each of the 373 communities throughout all 50 states and Puerto Rico by the partner organizations that delivered the survey. So this information will be available 
both on the Americans for the Arts website with the national information and on Cash's website with information specific to the state of Arkansas as well as Northwest Arkansas as a region. Do you think this is something that can be used to attract people to come here, to live here, or businesses to to, to move in? Definitely. And I think that the amount of economic activity arts and culture generates, even just in Northwest Arkansas, is uh, indicative of the number of people that are moving to this region and the vibrancy of um, the culture that's being built uh, in this area. For the first time in the history of the AEP surveys, uh, organizations and audiences were asked these social impact questions. Beyond the economic and financial impacts, arts and culture organizations and activities provide social contributions that benefit the wider community, such as neighborhood pride and cultural identity. And attendees demonstrated a deep appreciation for how those arts and culture activities impact the development and well-being of their communities and the residents there. Karen Castleman is the Dance and Events Manager of Cash Studios and a consultant to the Arts and Economic Prosperity 6, or AEP6 study. Our conversation took place yesterday in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Ozarks at Large is created at the Carver Center for Public Radio, and Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF in Fayetteville. Contributors today included Jack Travis, Michael Tilley, and Becca Martin-Brown. Our Director of Community Engagement at KUAF is Jasper Logan. Jasper and other Members of the KUAF staff will be at the Fayetteville Public Library tomorrow from 10 until noon for the Be Aware Allergy-Free Trick-or-Treat that the Fayetteville Public Library sponsors every year. We'll be there handing out treats, and we'll have the KUAF Listening Lab on hand as well to record you or perhaps your child's best Halloween monster growl or sound. That's tomorrow from 10 until noon at the Fayetteville Public Library. KUAF listeners, I will join you again Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend Ozarks at Large, and we start a brand new week of all new daily editions of our show Monday. That's noon and 7 on 91.3 KUAF, and it's every weeknight at 7 on Little Rock Public Radio, KUAR. So happy to be in central Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellums. Have a safe weekend. Talk to you soon. KUAF is supported by Butterfield Trail Village, a premier Northwest Arkansas retirement community catering to active lifestyles and resident well-being, offering a variety of amenities and living options, including apartments, cottages, and village homes. ButterfieldTrailVillage.org for more.